Before we begin today's sermon, I would like to invite once again uh, our scripture readers uh, to lead us in today's passages. Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, would give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, would give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will our Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you who behave lawlessly. Everyone who then, who hears these words of mine and acts on them, will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you once again, Audrey, Suwan, and Philip, for leading us in prayer and in the scripture reading for this morning. Good morning, church. Good morning, everyone. We are at our last and final week of this sermon series of the Sermon of the Mount uh, from Matthew chapter 5 through to 7, especially for this season of Lent. So allow me to do a quick recap of the series. Do we have the slides? We began looking at the Beatitudes, 
where Jesus taught of the blessedness of kingdom persons who would embrace the kingdom values of what it means to be poor in spirit, meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and who are persecuted because of what is right. We considered how the commandments of God in the Scriptures has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ as the new Moses and Jesus giving a fresh understanding of the law now being extended into the life of being a true disciple and being Christ-like. We explored what it means to being in a right relationship with God by practicing Christian piety of giving, of fasting, and of praying in secret. Because in those, we can be witnesses of God's kingdom and being sought and light to the world. We dive into the Lord's Prayer with a reminder that the true purpose of prayer is to deepen our knowledge of who God is, our good Father, and His desire to have an intimate relationship with us through our prayer life. Last week, we asked ourselves what treasures we are storing with which Master. Is it heavenward or earthly treasures that would rot us, our hearts and our mind? How would our allegiance to the King impact our lives, how we think, our actions and choices? And so this week, we end. We end this series with living into the kingdom and consider what it means to welcome and to submit to the rule of Christ and to the kingdom of heaven. Two points. And if uh, our children amongst us have the booklet with you, you may begin to fill in the blanks. Welcome and to submit. Now, I love playing board games. I don't know about you, but this is a picture of one of my favorite board games. Do you know what that is? Not too sure. It's not Monopoly. No, Uno. This game is called Saboteur. It is my absolute favorite. This game is about deceit and lies. And I absolutely love it. <laughs> now, in this game Saboteur, players are tasked with collectively, uh, are tasked with the mission of collectively building a path to the gold mine. While some players secretly play the role of saboteurs, trying to prevent the miners from reaching the goal. Now, if the saboteurs are successful, then everyone's effort of building that path to the goal where you see on top would be wasted. Now, we began with scripture reading passage of Matthew, uh, of, uh, Matthew 7. And in the last passages, Jesus reminds us that everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. This verse serves as a warning against the consequence of failing to apply the teachings of Jesus into our lives. Likewise, if we don't heed the words of Jesus, we run into the risk of sabotaging ourselves and the ones around us. Our efforts to build a strong foundation on which we live our lives may be in vain if we don't put into practice what we learned 
if we don't welcome Jesus into every aspect of our lives. If we don't welcome Jesus into every aspect of our lives. It means acknowledging Jesus as your Savior. And even more, it means to know God the Father in His person and establishing a relationship with our triune God to know as well what the Spirit is doing within us. Like what we do when we are getting to know someone and letting that person come in layer by layer into our lives. Perhaps first in the places that we like to go to. And next, perhaps, to invite to our place for a meal or into our personal spaces, allowing the friendship to grow. We have to allow the person into some aspects of our lives for the relationship to grow. Don't you agree? Likewise, Jesus also invites us into a relationship with Him. And He invites us in the beginning verses of Matthew 7 to us to search and to knock. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, Jesus taught his followers to search, to knock, for God to answer their prayers. Now, this is a famous and widely quoted sermon by Jesus where he encourages his followers to persistently seek, to persistently ask, and to persistently knock in their pursuit of God's will and plans for their lives, of God's providence in meeting our needs. Now, I do not think Jesus is just teaching a format nor a structure. Jesus used simple, simple analogies to reveal God's heart. To reveal God's heart. And explain that just as a loving father would give his children what they ask for, God would also give his people good things. Jesus is teaching us to persist and welcome him in every aspect of our lives because he is a good, good father. Amen? We pray, we seek, we search, we ask is to reveal God's heart as our good father. Now, this might not be difficult to understand, at this point, but may I suggest what we need to learn in our discipleship moments. For it means to trust God to define His goodness over our lives. To trust God to define His goodness, not just what we think is good for us, but what God thinks is good for us. And that is why Jesus assures us in a good Father, in God. But we can't just stop welcoming Jesus. We remember Palm Sunday, where the crowd welcomed the King, shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! But they chose not to submit to the kingship of Jesus, for the same crowd that welcomed Jesus might have been the same crowd that crucified Him. Welcoming Jesus into our lives and trusting in God's goodness requires us to submit to the rule of Christ. To submit to the rule of Christ, our King. 
And this is where we see Jesus putting before us two paths of contrasting images of when we submit or when we do not. Let us look at the first contrast of the narrow and wide gate and what it means to be repentant. And that's the first R in the next section of the fill in the blanks. R. Submitting to God means for us to be repentant. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and many will take it. For the gate is narrow, and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few that would find it. Now in these verses, Jesus is speaking about two paths that people can generally take in life. A narrow gate that leads to life and a broad road that leads to destruction. Jesus reminds us of the importance of staying on the narrow path, which can be challenging, but ultimately leads to salvation, leads to life abundant. But here Jesus is also calling us to repentance, my friends, and to turn away from the broad path that leads to destruction. Now, the popular understanding of repentance is that it's often thought of as being sorry for one's sin and asking for forgiveness. While this is part of what it means to be repentant, it does not fully capture the biblical understanding of the word. For in the meaning of the word itself, is it means a change of mind or a change of direction. And when you change your mind and direction, it usually involves a deep sense of regret. A deep sense of regret for an action or a thought that leads to destruction. And a willingness to turn away from them and to turn towards God. Jesus is calling us to have a change of heart and mind and to turn away from our sinful ways and to follow after Him. Now, in our discipleship journey, we are learning, we are constantly learning to change our mind away from the easy ways that leads to the destruction of our soul. Father Lawrence once preached a profoundly simple sermon about sin. And it's annoying experience of walking on a country road and having a small stone like this enter his sandal. Now, at first, he felt the sandal as he walked, but he pretended not to be there. I believe some of us have experienced it, and so he kept on walking. But after some time, with the, sto- with the stone still being in the sandal, he would begin to wriggle his toes and, you know, try to arrange his foot and toes around the stone. I believe we have experienced that as well. And then he will keep on walking. Even in, even in exasperation, trying to bear with the stone, he decided not to think about it. But then all he could do is to think about the stone as he felt the discomfort. Finally, he snooped down, took off his sandal, and shook off the pebble. And as he stood up, and look around, he realized that he had walked 
a great distance on a lovely, lovely road, but had not seen a thing. He had been preoccupied with the pebble. Now, the truth of the matter is this. We all have pebbles of sin in our lives that prevent us from being able to live a full life, a life to the fullest in and with our Lord Jesus Christ. And because what He has done for us, we can be fully confident that we can turn back to God in repentance, even when we think we are in our darkest. And to know that we are fully free from slavery and from bondage of our sins. Second, we see a contrast between two trees, good and bad. And what it means to be fruitful. And what it means to be fruitful. Now, in these verses from 15 to 20, Jesus warns of false prophets. And these prophets sets the context of the teaching of the good and the bad. Now, the limpus test of a prophet is the message that they bring and the life that they live. Thus, you will know them by their fruit. Isn't it? The message that they bring and the life that they live. In fact, in Jesus' time, there were many that were distorting the true message, making the, the gospel of grace becoming the gospel of works. The Bible plainly, plainly teaches that it is not by works of righteousness in which we gain salvation, but by the mercy and grace of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. Another fruit that can be noticed is a failure to display the fruit of the Spirit. Now, none of us is perfect, and neither are leaders and pastors of the church. However, if we examine one's life, there should be evidence, evidence of a sincere love of our Lord Jesus Christ and evidence of the fruit of the Spirit developing in his life, the fruit of the Spirit of love, of joy, of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, once again, this doesn't mean sinless perfection, but we are working towards perfection that is anchored in the perfect love of Christ. Amen? We are working towards perfection in the perfect love of Christ. Third contrast, we see between two decorations and what it means to be genuine. And what it means to be genuine. Now, whenever I read these passages and I come to that sentence of what Jesus said, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Never fails. Never fails to put a pause and a break in my life. Did Jesus meant to ignore or to disown? No, definitely not. I believe Jesus is emphasizing the importance of a genuine faith and relationship with Him. 
He is warning against those who claim to know him, but do not truly follow him. Now, the exegesis of this passage reminds us that Jesus is stating that it is not enough to merely profess faith or to perform and do the works in his name. Rather, true, genuine faith is demonstrated by doing the will of the Father. And genuine faith involves having a faith relationship with Jesus that transform our hearts, that transform our hearts, resulting in a desire to obey Him and to follow His teachings. And to follow His teachings. Genuine faith resulting in a genuine relationship. Tim Hensel, the author of the book, When I Relax, I Feel Guilty, wrote in his book some insights of what most people want from God. And he wrote this, this portion in his book titled, I Would Like to Buy $3 Worth of God, Please. Allow me to quote. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep but just enough to equal a warm, a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love someone racially different or someone who is an immigrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of a womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy... $3 worth of God, please. End quote. Now, I believe some of us do struggle with the essentials of a genuine faith. When I encounter in my ministry those who are spiritually struggling, they might be spiritually indifferent. It is not because they don't believe in Jesus as their Savior. They just don't find the effort required to pick up the cross daily and to follow Him. They were just not able to make the decision to put time aside and to spend time with God and to know Him through the reading of God's Word. And more than often, that indecision, that inaction, becomes indifferent, spiritual indifference. Embracing a religion of rituals, of coming just to church, but not a relationship that God desires to have with us. Now, my friends, how much is God worth in your life? How much is God worth in your life? Fourth and closing, we see a contrast of two builders and what it means to be wise. And what it means to be wise, to make decisions that we know will impact our lives, not just in the present, but for the eternity. But for the eternity. And I want to end off once again by reading Jesus' words to us to reflect upon even as we think back these few weeks of this series, how I pray 
have been challenging you to take the next steps as true disciples of Christ. Jesus said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. My friends, perhaps the most dangerous of all delusions in any formation of life and in life is that we have plenty of time. Much more dangerous when it concerns the formation and the building of our spiritual life. And we are tempted at every corner of our lives in seasons to spiritually procrastinate what truly matters to the salvation of our souls. God calls us to hear. Jesus teaches us to act. Jesus wants us to put our faith right now into action. He wants us to actively apply His teaching in our lives so that we will always be found taking the road, the narrow world that leads to life. Life in Him and life through Him. Living as God's kingdom persons requires, my friends, to put Christ's teaching and example into action. What it means to love God, to love each other, and to love our neighbours as ourselves. Serving and promoting the values of justice, mercy, and compassion in what we have been taught in this series. And I pray that we will be found actively applying even after this series, perhaps even after all the discussions in your small or ministry groups about these teachings. My prayers is that we would become ambassadors of Christ, extending His love and grace to those around us, in modeling Christ's character in our lives, and through and being a witness, inviting others to join His kingdom. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this series in which we have been journeying together. Help us, Lord, right now to fully understand your word, not only as hearers, but also as doers. And so, Lord, walk with us and guide us to find and follow the narrow road that leads us into your heavenly kingdom. Bless this time of study of this Sermon of the Mount and by your power of the Holy Spirit, move us, Lord, and stir our hearts to live a continued life of trust and obedience, loving you, loving our neighbours, and building a faith community that glorifies you, Lord, in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.